Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by New Trail Brewing Company. New Trail beers are brewed right here in central Pennsylvania and delivered fresh and cold to your favorite retailers every week. When you're in Happy Valley, be sure to find New Trail at WR Hickey and other craft beer retailers. Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante along with T. Frank Carr and this is quarter number one of our show brought to you by New Trail Brewing Company. They brew their beer right here in central Pennsylvania and deliver fresh and cold to your favorite retailers every week. Your biggest dilemma as always, which of their many great options to select? That's why I recommend the Hoppy Variety Pack, New Trail's Hoppy Pack. It's an absolute crowd pleaser packed with four different hoppy beers. Sure to please everybody at your party, T. Frank. All right, we're here to talk Penn State, Michigan State, a 35-16 win for the Nittany Lions. You know, T. Frank, I'm not sure if I should say the game was much closer than the score or it wasn't nearly as close as the score. It seemed like at times Penn State was just dominating the game, and the next thing you knew, Michigan State was within five points. Yeah, I, I uh, likened it to the game against Ohio State, but in reverse, where uh, Ohio State clearly was the, the talented team that was controlling the game, but they weren't getting too far ahead at Penn State. And then in the fourth quarter, they hit the gas, and it was over. And that's kind of how it worked for Penn State. Of They were able to put together a fourth-quarter drive, and they were able to secure the victory, and then they piled on after that to secure the victory and, and cover, <laughs> as uh, as we saw at the very end. So... Uh, you know, uh, this is always the this is always the tough part, Jim, because the, the defense played great, but because the offense didn't play well, we have a certain opinion about this game, um, and one that I think is skewed based on our watching of football, which is if the offense isn't good, the team isn't good. And while I generally agree with that because of my philosophy on offense, I don't want to skew so far away from defense that we don't take into credit, uh, you know, the kind of the DNA of a team that wants to win this way, which is not exactly what uh, most fans are used to anymore, you know, like defensive, run the ball, that kind of stuff. So um, it's somewhere in the middle, I'd say, but I, I do think that, you know, it was the way it should have ended based on how both teams played and their talent levels. Let me give you a bit of a narrative and tell me what you think. Penn State always feels like they start slow, and I get the impression that they might be a little bit conservative. They get the lead. I don't want to say they were sitting on the lead, but they didn't feel they had to do much more because they could rely on their defense. And then when Michigan State gets close, all of a sudden the offense decides, oh, we've got to do our share also. That's when you see the offense, uh, as you said, put the, you know, turn the gas on why aren't they doing that earlier is that a fair assessment for me to make i'd say part of it is fair and part of it is um kind of game script so penn state wants to run the football so that's going to be a, a large healthy dose of their their playbook every game and um whether it's establishing the run or just giving opportunities to the players to run the football it doesn't necessarily matter uh it is what it is um Getting into this particular game script, I think there were there, there were times that Penn State ran into bad looks, but they were also the way things were working and and kind of my observations of this were they were they were playing the numbers. 
So they were running formations into the field and or into the boundary. And if Michigan State didn't match, they would throw screens. Michigan State forced them to run the football between the tackles based on the rules of the offense. They would cover everything else, and they would leave a minimum amount of runner uh, run defenders in the box, which triggers Penn State to run the football. If you're, if you're going five on five, the offense should have the advantage. But the problem is Michigan State's defense, the strength of it is up the middle. So in a way, and this is what I'm saying about kind of the narrative of Penn State and Ohio State and Michigan State and Penn State, is that in that game against Ohio State, Penn State goaded... Uh, the the Buckeyes into running the football all game, and Penn State shut it down. Same thing happened here. By the rules, they took away the RPO, the read option, and forced Penn State to run the ball between the tackles based on the rules of the play, and that led to a lot of stagnation. Now, late in the game, they decided to drop back pass more and just straight pass, and they were able to get some wins down the field in one-on-one situations. But I do think you're correct in saying that the conservative part is they were not winning a whole lot early in the game, so they went away from it until they were forced by the game pressure to throw the ball more, and then they had success there. Are you saying those opportunities weren't there early? Could they have opened things up earlier in the game? Uh, it was not there early. So there were not great reads for Sean Clifford, and I know that we've talked about his pocket presence, which wasn't good early in the game, but he was also looking down the barrel of nobody open. Michigan State was running a lot of cover one, and uh, there were no receivers that got clear separation. Now, later in the game, he started trusting his receivers, throwing them open uh, by just giving them the football, and that is, you know, Tyler Warren, a contested catch touchdown. Um, Keandre Lambert-Smith, a 15-20 yard out route uh, where he was able to, you know, fight through the route and get the ball in contested catch situation, uh, and... and Early in the game, you don't want to throw an interception. You don't want to give the ball to the other team and create a snowball effect. So conservative Clifford was the rule of the day at that point. And then later in the game, a little more confidence to throw the football down the field, uh, and they were able to hit some of those plays late. But it wasn't there. The offensive line had some issues. Clifford had some issues, and the receiving game had some issues. So all of it just kind of didn't work together early in the game. Let's talk about Sean Clifford, and by the way, just to let you know, I am taking credit for how he performed late in the game when he had, what, 12 completions in a row. Mm -hmm. I was texting with our colleague Andy Shea during the game, and fairly early in the game, we were talking about Sean Clifford, and I pointed out that I didn't think he was that impressive while Andy said he thought he was playing well. As soon as I was critical of Sean Clifford, he then completed his next 12 passes. So I'm, I'm going to take credit for that performance. But the overall numbers, uh, T. Frank, 19 of 24, 200 yards, four touchdowns. On the surface, that looks pretty darn good. Yeah. What, give me your assessment of his performance. Good. You know, I think it was good. Um, so part of this situation with Michigan State is I count three of the touchdowns as coverage busts where they were just straight up wrong, right? So the first touchdown, I think it was the first touchdown, where Theo Johnson is wide open down the seam in the red zone. That is Xavier Henderson going the wrong way and miscommunication. Two guys cover one. Nobody covers Theo Johnson. Biting on the receiver uh, pass. Great play by Penn State. Great design to to draw them up, but... 
the defensive scheme does not uh, have no defensive scheme has zero people covering a tight end deep. So that's a coverage bust. When you got somebody running alone down the field, the defense has made a mistake. Um, and then I'd count the fourth down touchdown to uh, Nick Singleton also as a coverage bust because, again, talk about counting numbers. All game they had stacked the they had they had taken away the numbers outside on that fourth down. Penn State explodes into that diamond formation with four players to one side and the solo matchup with um, uh, Tyler Warren on the other side. And one of the Michigan State defenders motions a linebacker back into the box at the last second. So there's only three players on the side of the field with the screen. That's an easy read for Penn State. Like, that's just count and go, and that's what they did. Um, So those are 21 points off of Michigan State being bad at football. Um, But as we talked about late in the game, that fourth quarter drive, and really in the fourth quarter, even when they weren't getting points, Sean Clifford was making good reads, standing strong in the pocket and delivering the football to his receivers on time. So when it counted in the fourth quarter, he was able to make some plays and he was able to drive the football down the field and account for offense because the 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 running game wasn't getting it done in the second half, uh, especially in the third quarter. So they needed to change something and they were more aggressive and he has to shoulder the load there. And at the end, he did. And that touchdown pass to Keandre Lambert-Smith, that's where I kind of put it 50-50. That, the coverage that Michigan State was running is designed to prevent what happened. So they were not good, but Penn State was able to run past them and throw the ball to the spot on time for a touchdown. Was it a perfect pass? Was it a perfect everything? Not really, but it was good enough to get a touchdown there. So that is a good play by Sean Clifford. We, we can't take away things just because we want our narrative to be correct. Um, he played his best football in his final quarter at Penn State at Beaver Stadium. So, uh, you know, kudos to him for going out on top and for writing his own ending in a way that seems fitting, right? You know, to finally come through at the very end of the season. Yes, it was a great, great send-off for him, and I'm happy for him the way he played for his final game there at Penn State. It would have been an awful look if he played poorly and, and the fans turned on him. But could you explain for us, though, why Penn State seems to start slow every mm-hmm. single game. So it's an interesting conversation because I asked James Franklin about this. Uh, the I think it was this week or the week before, where we talk about adjustments, right? We talk about how do you adjust as an offense and halftime adjustments and all those things. How do you know what to adjust to? And what is noise and what is actually the game plan this week? And are is the team who you thought they were going to be? And he talked about um, your opening drive being very important. And you want to run plays that have multiple answers because you don't know what the defense is going to do this week. Um, and you're also not going to do game plan specific stuff right away because you need to know what the game plan is. Um, so they're not aggressive in terms of playing their game plan right away. And they're not playing aggressive football because they're trying to diagnose what's going on. And his point was, if you go three and out, you've got less information and the defense has kept more for later. So Penn State struggled to get an opening drive put together to get enough information to actually ascertain what they're supposed to adjust to. And we've seen it back in the um, game against... Uh, Minnesota, where they went three and out a whole bunch, and then finally in the second quarter, Mike Yersich is able to adjust schematically, get some guys open, and then Sean Clifford hits him, and then the snowball starts to roll. 
So it's it's a combination, I think, of as much as we just praise Sean Clifford, historically he's not great at post-snap adjustment. Despite being a sixth-year player, it seems like he needs to know before the game what he's supposed to do. So all of these things, all these advantages, maybe he's great in the run game, but in the passing game and, and executing the play once it's designed and, and it's implemented, if it's not, okay, it's cover three and we got a cover three beater, he's not looking to the backside of the progression to find the second answer. So you're not continuing drives because of some of his limitations and his liabilities. Plus the offensive line is inconsistent, blah, blah, blah. Knock on effect of just not getting more drives put together and getting more plays to understand what you're supposed to do. Very good, T. Frank. Thank you for the explanation. But that is it for quarter number one. We're going to continue our conversation about the Penn State-Michigan State game as we head into quarter number two. Stay tuned. New Trail Brewing Company proudly crafts their beers right here in central Pennsylvania. Brewed with only the best possible ingredients, New Trail produces a variety of year-round brands as well as weekly experimental recipes. New Trail Broken Heels is Pennsylvania's favorite local hazy IPA. This beer is smooth and full-bodied. Hand-selected citra hops lead to notes of bright clementine and juicy ruby red grapefruit. Broken Heels is perfect for a pregame tailgate all the way through the victory celebration. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. We are Tech Results, located right here in State College. Whether it's workstation, server and network installation, problem solving and maintenance, security assessments, or general evaluations, we are your complete IT partner. Learn more at techresults.com. That's T-E-K results.com. Or call us at 814-206-0000. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by New Trail Brewing Company. New Trail beers are brewed right here in central Pennsylvania and delivered fresh and cold to your favorite retailers every week. When you're in Happy Valley, be sure to find New Trail at WR Hickey and other craft beer retailers. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number two. I'm Jim Galante along with T. Frank Carr. And this segment is brought to you by Collegiate Athletic Travel. You know what, T. Frank? It's the bowl season coming up. And our good friends, yeah, they are going to have the trip again. It's the bowl game. The only question is where are they going? It looks like the Cotton Bowl, but that's a conversation for later. Wherever they go, Collegiate Athletic Travel will have the trip for you. 
As you recall, Dustin and I went with them to the Auburn game. A lot of fun. It was a fantastic trip. They, they do everything first class. Why don't you sign up for their email alert so once the bowl game gets announced, you'll get set information on it. Just go to athletictravel.com. That's athletictravel.com. There's a box there where you could sign up for their newsletter and make sure you'll get alerted as soon as the bowl announcements come out. All right, T. Frank, we're talking Penn State, Michigan State. A couple things happened in the game I want to ask you about. One of them was the return of Joey Porter Jr. Mm -hmm. Fantastic to see him. I wasn't sure if we'd see him during the regular season or to have him sit out. Sitting out one more week gives him, you know, another month till the bowl game comes up. But we did see him. Limited play. I think it was 11 snaps that he was out there for. Were you able to get any indication of how he looked? Yeah, he didn't look good. <laughs> I mean, he played 11 <laughs> snaps. So let, let's not overblow it, but he looked like a dude coming back from an appendectomy. Like, he didn't look like himself. His change of direction didn't look the same. His, uh, conf- you know, his confidence didn't look the same. He looked rusty. And that's, you know, if you're rushing back from an injury or from an off-field incident like that, uh, and, of course, James Franklin talked about and, and answered the question that he had an appendectomy. He had, a, you know, appendicitis, and he was out for that reason. Um, that's what it looked like. So, no, it was not that he was just shutting it down because he's a first-round pick and blah, blah, blah. He definitely looked like a dude that wanted to play football but could not play football. And, uh, you know, I give him credit for wanting to be out there for his senior day. He, you know, he walked with the seniors. He's a redshirt junior. Um, and, and he uh, tried to gut it out and play his final game at Beaver Stadium, which to me, in these situations, like, I don't begrudge people for the conversation of, is this about the draft? Like, what's going on when it's a surprise thing like that? What I don't like is the immediate assumption that that speculation is fact. Like, we're too deep into conspiracy theories. Like, we love cynicism to the point that we don't give people credit for finding out the truth first. And, you know, that's what I think James Franklin was most upset about in this situation of here's the dude that wants to play football. Here's the dude that you want to highlight as a guy that's trying to play in a situation where he does have a first or second round draft grade. And we're just going to heap cynicism on the situation without the facts. So, you know, part of this situation to me is like, not that I'm rooting one way or the other, but I just, I appreciate the truth. And the truth was the dude had an appendectomy. He couldn't play football. And then he tried to, and he looked rusty. He played 11, like on his senior day, he played 11 plays. He was clearly not healthy enough to go, but he tried to give it a go. And I give him credit for that. I give him credit also, but I wasn't necessarily looking to go this way. But I'm going to give my opinion. I blame James Franklin for that cynicism. If James Franklin has his policy, I'm not going to talk about injuries or off-field off, uh, issues. You know what, James? If you're not given the information, guess what? That vacuum gets filled somehow. So there's really, you know, there's nothing wrong with say and eventually— he found out it was okay to say Joey Porter's not playing because of an appendectomy. Why didn't he just say that in the beginning? I know it's, oh, got to talk to the player. Well, James, that takes one minute. Hey, Joey, I know you had the appendectomy. I'd like to announce that. Do you have any problem with that? No, coach, I don't. Okay, fine. 
and announce it. But it's every time James Franklin doesn't tell us what's going on, that's when fans uh, fill the void with other information, T. Frank. So I put this squarely on James Franklin. And one last thought, and I've brought this up before, I find it really fascinating that James Franklin's policy is to never, ever talk about these things. Ever, T. Frank. Until he does. Yeah. (laughs) But then blame the reporters and everybody else for for reporting something. Well, James, if you just told us what was going on, you wouldn't get the bad reporting. So there is the the point of if you don't have information, don't speculate. Um, and that's, that is, I think, where he's trying to find his out, right? So, like, the rules are, unless you have sources and confirmation and second sources and you can report these things, then you... Uh, don't say anything and we don't do that anymore and I think that that's you know partially part of the story I don't know what reports he's talking by the way I don't know what reports he's talking about I read blue white illustrated that's about all the time I have is to read blue white illustrated and you know we didn't report any of that stuff so I don't know what he's talking about there Uh, but it's just I, I hear you this has been a problem under James Franklin for so long, and he talked about the reasons, you know, the reasons he doesn't want to talk about these things when he talked about Joey Porter Jr.'s specific injury, and he's like, can he come back? And he said, yes, he potentially can. The reason I didn't want to tell you it's an appendectomy is then you can start researching how long it takes to come back from an appendectomy, which is an advantage for the other team. Is that an advantage enough to, uh, you know, mask the situation the way he is? I think you may, you bring up a very valid point but it is who he he is, you know? Like, this is who James Franklin is, and it's not changing. It's been nine years. Um, and and that's just, I you know, what I said originally. It's just kind of how I feel about a lot of these situations is we don't know, we don't like everything that's going on in college football, so therefore we ascribe cynicism and all of these things before we actually have any information. And I understand that you're never getting the information, so it's satisfying to have an end to the story. But I just I hate when people try to skip ahead to the end. That's all. Well, I do read other things, T. Frank. Uh, and I didn't read anywhere where a reporter, I saw speculation on message boards. Those are fans. You're not going to keep them from speculating. And just as one last point on it, if Joey Porter decided not to play any more games, he's got millions of dollars at stake. I'm not yeah. sure I have any problem with that. Right. And I don't but they, but they could be do. true. They could both be true. Like, he can't play and he opts out and, and doesn't play in the bowl game. But if, you know, without the information of he had an appendectomy and all these things, then it's just canon. A false truth is canon, and that's the part that I have a problem with. It's that because we didn't get the information, we're allowed to then create this false truth when the truth is probably both. Like he, he might not, he likely won't play in the bowl game, I would imagine, and he had an appendectomy. But, you know, in these situations, we decide what the truth is instead of actually knowing the truth. And that is, I think that's a bad precedent that we have that we do these things now. Well, I'm going to support the fan base here for a second, um, uh, T. Frank, because I believe there's there's a certain percentage of the fan base who is very extreme, did go one way or the other, but the fan base that says, Joey Porter's never going to play another down for Penn State, blah, blah, blah. He has the money at stake, and I hate that, the perfect blah, blah, blah. It's all about money. Well, that's a, a certain percentage of the fan base. 
and I think it's a small percentage of the fan base, then it gets translated into everybody is saying that. No, it's not everybody saying it. It's a handful of people, and everybody now has a forum thanks to social media, message yeah. boards, and so on. So the impression you get a James Franklin saying, oh, all you people are saying this. No, not, it's not a case where all of us people are saying it. We're not. There's a percentage that are, and James Franklin, they're saying it because you're no help <laughs> with the information. It, right. You're instigating it, and I believe he backed himself into a corner early in his career saying, oh, I don't talk about those things. Well, then, James, you have no right to complain when people fill the void with information and rumors. You created that monster, okay? You did it. So I'm not going to change off that. That's my yeah. conclusion. Yeah, that, and that's that's completely fair. I guess, that, again, I got, you're right about the size of things. Here's the problem is people are looking to dismiss stories, information, and things they don't have the brain space for. So when there's an easy thing to latch on to, we just latch on to the easy thing and we don't think about it again. And I... Again, I'm not talking about Penn State or Joey Porter or his appendix. I'm talking about generally when it comes to information, sports, and otherwise, we tend to go, what's the easiest thing to remember? And then I'm going to latch on to that, whether it's a partial truth, a whole truth, or a total lie. And like, I just, in this situation, it is a microcosm of something that bothers me about like what we do as people. And that's, that's my biggest problem here as well. I get it. And by the way, I asked how Joey Porter did, and we have two minutes left in the segment to talk about the rest of this game. Kalen King was great, by the way. Speaking of (laughs) corners, Kalen King, uh, he is a superstar. You know, he is going to be a superstar football player. He already is. Like, this was his year to become that. And and did you feel like this game, in a way, though, was that changing of the guard from Joey Porter to Kalen King? Now, Kalen King's played well for quite a while, but— This became the game where, I don't want to say you stopped talking about Joey Porter, but it gave Kalen King that opportunity to be the number one cornerback, and we got to see how good he was. Yeah, I mean, that's been the last month. That's been the last month of the season. He's yes. been doing this the whole time, and it's, you know, on the final game when they throw at him nine times, that's the difference, is there was a competent quarterback under center. So he was challenged a bit, and he gave up 30 yards on four catches, according to PFF, but he also broke up, uh, I think, two passes and had a, a near interception and then a, uh, you know, an interception that I think was kind of a thank you for your uh, your service sort of thing at the end where it's just a gift, and it's like, you deserve this for how well you've played this year, and he got his second interception of the year. So he's he's been that dude. Uh, he's been the most consistent corner, even talking about Joey Porter Jr. when he was healthy. King has been the most consistent. We've had this conversation a couple times, um, you know, over on the message board about, you know, between the two, Joey has fantastic tools, but the dude that's got the most skills, you know, hip swivel, great feet, great hands, great eyes, great instincts, and confidence. He's the total package at corner. The only thing he isn't is 6'2", but you know what? It doesn't matter. He's five. He's six foot. He's 5'11", somewhere in there, and he is a terror to throw the ball at because he's running routes for the, for the receiver. He was pretty special, and T. Frank, we'll pick up some more conversation on this game in quarter number four. But first, in quarter number three, we're going to take your questions, and we're going to ask T. Frank. So 
Don't worry, we'll still talk about this game more in quarter number four. New Trail Brewing Company proudly crafts their beers right here in central Pennsylvania. Brewed with only the best possible ingredients, New Trail produces a variety of year-round brands, as well as weekly experimental recipes. And next time you're watching the game with friends or by the campfire, pick up the New Trail Hoppy Variety Pack. New Trail's Hoppy Pack is an absolute crowd pleaser. Packed with four different hoppy beers, it's sure to please everyone. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. We are Tech Results, located right here in State College. We specialize in providing assistance with many third-party software suites. Our clients include doctor's offices, lawyers, construction companies, and even hairdressers. We provide help with their industry-specific software. Learn more at techresults.com. That's T-E-K results.com. Or give us a call at 814-206-0000. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by New Trail Brewing Company. New Trail beers are brewed right here in central Pennsylvania and delivered fresh and cold to your favorite retailers every week. When you're in Happy Valley, be sure to find New Trail at W.R. Hickey and other craft beer retailers. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante along with T. Frank Carr. It's quarter number three, and you know what that means. It's time to ask T. Frank. This is where we take your questions and we get them from our app if you want to ask a question to t frank just download our app keystone sports and you'll see the ask t frank button send in your question and guess what if your question is deemed by t frank as the best question of the segment we're going to send you a prize okay so t frank are you ready to roll yeah let's do it all right let us start with Ray in Lewisburg who says, Big fan of yours, T. Frank. Do you think Keziah Izzard has the adequate size to replace P.J. Mustafer, or do we need to find some more size in the portal at the defensive tackle position? This is an awesome question because it gets to the heart of a lot of the issues up front uh, for this offseason. I'm... I, I guess I've already said it. I think Keziah Izzard's going to have a breakout season next year. Uh, the the way he's come on here at the end, in this defense, his ability to penetrate and play with quickness and aggression, 
I, I, I think that's incredibly valuable, and I think he's a perfect fit for what they need. He's bigger than Hakeem Beeman. He can play with a little more size and bulk, but I don't think his skill set is one technique. Now, that's also saying that I don't know that Manny Diaz cares all that much about a nose tackle. I don't think that that is a high priority of having a guy that is 300-plus pounds. Um, he didn't at Miami. Now, is part of that the recruiting side where he couldn't get guys that were that big? Or is it that they didn't value guys that were that big? And then you're not going to force somebody to be 310 and limit their effectiveness when aggression, quickness, decisiveness, and uh, you know, fundamentals, hand fighting all are more important to you than just holding up a double team because... They don't they don't play that way. So they don't absorb blocks. They're trying to get into their gap and get into the backfield. But by alignment, you have a guy that's generally closer to the center and is generally going to get more double teams than the other defensive tackle. So you do need to have somebody who maybe has better strength and better physicality. I don't see that guy on the roster, and I wouldn't want to sacrifice what you have in Keziah Izzard to make him that guy and kind of play him out of position. He was a former high school defensive end. He's 290 pounds. If he gets at 300 and he's a little better at, at taking on double teams, which you still have to do if you're a defensive tackle, no matter where you play, that's ideal. Have him as that three technique, that's ideal because then you've got uh, an advantage, kind of a complete player there. I don't want to make him an incomplete player, you know, maybe bordering average if he gets much better at run defense at one technique. So you need to go to the portal and you need to find a guy that fits the system. That's going to be difficult. They either need to have somebody on the roster take a big step forward um, and the guy that I would say that can do both positions would be Jordan Vandenberg. I think, uh, but I, he played a lot of three technique this year. They got so many three techs. They need, they need somebody that's got a little more mass and I don't see anybody on the roster that's going to step up and be a consistent reliable quality starter you answered my next question when if not because i is or is there somebody else on the roster who fits that <clears throat> description all right let's go to dan in berwick who says on the offensive line i hear talk about the next level talent i hear about the young guys who aren't ready yet do you think that we've written off a chumba Chris, Traore, and Dawkins, I hear virtually nothing about them. That's because they didn't, well, so a lot of them were injured, Traore and uh, Dawkins, and I think Achumba were all injured. Chris is the one guy that has played this year, and it's pretty clear uh, what the evaluation of him is when he's not playing, and they don't have an extra tackle, and they've been rotating Bryce Effner with Caden Wallace. Um, those guys have gotten passed by the young players and that's it like that's that's the harsh reality of college football they say it every year to the players of you've got to come in and you got to do your best and you've got to give us 110 percent because every year we're going out and we're looking to replace you because eventually we have to and if we find somebody better that's the nature of competition so all of those guys have been passed by the freshmen it's it's not a it that we're not forgetting about them we're we're not um overlooking them we're not doing any of those things like the, the snaps and the decisions speak for themselves. I think that's the bottom line answer. They've been passed by. Let, let's stick with the offensive line again. Let's get from, uh, the question from Jerry from Erie who says, I was surprised by Fashionu announcing his return. With that in mind, 
do you think we could see Drew Shelton or Landon Tengwall become the right tackle? Would you consider that move, T. Frank? By the way, uh, Jerry from Erie, shout out to Erie, home of Cooper Cousins, Penn State's 2024 commit, who uh, is awesome. He's a good dude. And, uh, you know, he might also someday be a tackle. I know they like him at center, but at 6'6", I I don't know. Like, we'll see. We'll see how it all plays out. Yes. uh, So that is the question that we we raised on the show yesterday, uh, excuse me, on Monday, about the offensive line. Now you've got your cornerstone piece you can start to best five it, right? So who are the best five players on the roster? And this is what we talk about when we have when we talk about the conversation of depth. So you don't have to play Drew Shelton at left tackle. What do you do with him? He has played left guard. He has practiced at left guard. Um, and he's previously, in spots, played right tackle. I would keep Landon Tangwall at guard, personally. I would keep him there, and then I would play around with, does Caden Wallace come back? Because I believe he has a year of eligibility left. Do you have, uh, do you move him over there? Uh, Tang, or, I'm sorry. If you move Shelton over there, you have two high four-star players that are actually tackles playing tackle, and the freshman has to beat out a guy ahead of him to actually get to that spot. So you have depth and competition at tackle. This is great for Penn State. So that's what I would do. I would move Shelton over to tackle uh, at right tackle, see what you've got there, try to secure those positions, and then even if it is a a part-time position where he and Wallace are sharing time like Efner did, I think that's very valuable that your redshirt freshman is giving you quality reps next year. I'm sorry, your your sophomore tackle, you won't be a redshirt freshman. Um, And then you bring in guys like Javen Williams in the class of 2023. He doesn't have to factor in now. He can be whatever he is going to be, whether they want to play him at guard, whether they want to play him at tackle, whether he plays or not, he doesn't have to. So Penn State's going to have a lot of quality options next year. Uh, And I think if you're a Penn State fan, if you can't tell, I'm excited about like the football. This is the part of the depth chart and the, the talents and everything that I love to play around with in my mind as well. So, you know, this is this should be a very exciting and entertaining offseason for Penn State. But. To answer your question in the most basic sense, left guard, Tangwall, right tackle, Shelton is what I'd do. And if he comes back, would you move Caden Wallace inside? No, uh, because you want to have as many tackles as possible. Uh, and you've got a lot of players on the inside. Salim Wormley is going to be back. Vega Yuwane is going to be a year older. J.B. Nelson uh, and Tangwall. So you've got four guys for two positions, plus Hunter Norzad at center. You know, So some of those guys can be backs at, backups at that position, but... You don't want to overcrowd one position when you desperately have been trying for 10 years to get enough tackles. So don't don't go mixing things too much and leave yourself vulnerable, would be my opinion. In other words, don't overthink it, Jim. All right, let's go to David in Lancaster. Interesting question based on what we talked about earlier, T. Frank. Uh, David says, we could have two top 15 draft corners over the next two years in Joey Porter Jr. and Kalen King. Can you compare how these two play and what makes each one of them special? So in a basic sense, um, they are a perfect boundary field corner where if you're going to play one guy uh, against the more physical receiver and the guy that is, you know, generally has more one-on-ones, 
then Joey Porter Jr. is perfect because he's got length and strength at the point of contact at the off at the line of scrimmage. He can play with big guys. He's got 39, 72 inch arms. I don't know. He like I've said before, it's like having a condor out on the football field. It's just it's just fun to watch and and his ability to get in position has improved greatly but in the in the physical boxing match that we are traditionally used to between the the X and and your boundary corner that's a great matchup and then your other guy that has to cover a lot of field that ne- doesn't necessarily have a two-way go like a slot corner but has to be athletic and run in every direction and cover guys with speed and route running precision Kalen King can be that guy for you and that's what he does very well I think his skills translate more to both positions, and that's what they've had to do without Joey Porter Jr. is play those guys at both positions. And I and I think that he's proven that he can play anywhere and that his skills of athleticism and intelligence and understanding of routes and all those things that go with playing corner, the instincts and the confidence to make plays on the football, he can play just about anywhere. But he, if you have those two in that in that pairing, that's excellent, and that's what they they can be. The NFL, there's less boundary field because of the hashes, but you do generally have those body types that you're trying to cover, and that's kind of the main difference between two very good flavors of corner. Okay, let's do some more comparisons. This is Brad from Percasy who says. Comparing Abdul Carter to Micah Parson after their freshman season, who had the better freshman year and why? Also, who is further along at this point in their career, meaning after their freshman year Abdul in college? Without a, without a doubt. Okay, I'm, I'm glad you answered that way because I wanted to qualify first. Comparing the two after the freshman year, and if you say Abdul Carter's better after freshman year, does not mean Abdul Carter's going to be the better player than Micah Parsons once he hits Sunday in the NFL. Let's clarify that, right? Yeah, yeah. So Abdul Carter is, first off, he played linebacker in high school, and he earned a starting position his um, his freshman season. And I understand that Micah Parsons was far superior athletically to everybody else, but he did not know as much about what he was doing on the field as Abdul Carter did this year. And Abdul Carter went from being better, you know, uh, at the position from Micah Parsons at the beginning of the season to being a veteran linebacker at the end. They changed their defense and how they used him on third down based on his ability to absorb more information. He's playing essentially playing the Mike linebacker in their Prowler package. He was they were using him as a spy. They were giving him all a lot more responsibility throughout the season and he handled it and he played with he turned information into instinct quicker than I've seen just about anybody do. And that's, you know, again, Micah is a very intelligent person, but he was working from behind having played defensive end and go get ball for most of his career. Carter and Parsons both are very exceptional athletes. Parsons might be a little more freaky, but not a ton more freaky. And Abdul Carter, the only problem is you can't have him do everything on the field. You want him doing everything. All right, that is it for quarter number three. Stay tuned. Quarter number four will announce our winner. New Trail Brewing Company proudly crafts their beers right here in central Pennsylvania. Brewed with only the best possible ingredients, New Trail produces a variety of year-round brands as well as weekly experimental recipes. 
New Trail Broken Heels is Pennsylvania's favorite local hazy IPA. This beer is smooth and full-bodied. Hand-selected citra hops lead to notes of bright clementine and juicy ruby red grapefruit. Broken Heels is perfect for a pregame tailgate all the way through the victory celebration. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. We are Tech Results, located right here in State College. Whether it's workstation, server and network installation, problem solving and maintenance, security assessments, or general evaluations, we are your complete IT partner. Learn more at techresults.com. That's T-E-K results.com. Or call us at 814-206-0000. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by New Trail Brewing Company. New Trail beers are brewed right here in central Pennsylvania and delivered fresh and cold to your favorite retailers every week. When you're in Happy Valley, be sure to find New Trail at WR Hickey and other craft beer retailers. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number four. I'm Jim Galanti along with T. Frank Carr. A lot of fun on the show today, T. Frank. A lot of interesting topics. And I thought we had some pretty good questions for yes. you in our Ask T. Frank segment. But we got to select one. We got to pick out a winner. You know, I, I, I wish that we could have gotten these questions spaced out because they're all winning questions. And I, I can't say that about every week. But Ray in Lewisburg had an excellent question because it balanced a lot of different things. We got a lot of stuff covered all in one question about Keziah Izzard and where he fits best. And it's something that I think a lot of fans are thinking about so, Ray, I'm, uh, you're our winner today, although, like I said, a lot of great questions today. Very good, Ray. We'll be getting in contact with you about your new trail prize pack. And, T. Frank, it's interesting also that you said, oh, but we could only have one winner. That's the case unless you say, well, let's give someone else a win also, which you did a couple <laughs> weeks ago. <laughs> in which case, we have two winners. All right, T. Frank, we had a big announcement this week. Olu Fashanu or Fashanu. I think it's Fashanu. That's the way I believe it is in the pronunciation guide that I I saw that the the team puts out. I didn't know if that's uh, exactly when that change took place. So it's one of those things where is it Aller or Alar? Because I hear people like this is the thing is like, don't ever listen to James Franklin for the the correct pronunciation of names because he doesn't he doesn't get it either. And he recruits the kids. So, um, you know, we go off of what we think when they recruits and then it sticks. Um, so 
Fashanu is how we all, you know, Americanized, I think, the situation, but it's Fashanu. I've been told by sources and, and people and, uh, you know, people close to Olu that it's Fashanu, just like it's Nicholas. And I, like all the old guys that used to call me Tom, can't stop calling him Nick. So, you know, we all have our challenges to overcome. Well, I'll tell you what. I went with Aller when there was... Uh on social media, kind of a promotional video before the season started or when the freshmen arrived Mm -hmm. and they gave their own name. And I swear that the kid himself said, I'm Drew Aller and I'm moving in or whatever. And I think he said Aller. So that's what I'm going to go with. All right. That's not our topic for fascinating two minutes and 30 seconds of (laughs) phonetics for everybody here on the radio. Let's move on from phonetics. Let's talk offensive line. I'm just going to say Olu mm-hmm. decided to come back, which is fantastic news for Penn State team, Penn State fans. And I think in the long run, it's probably better for the kid. I realize that there's some risk involved, that there's money to be made, that he would be a first-round draft pick. But you only get so much time as a collegiate player and I believe he's enjoying himself there, wants to have another year, feels that 2023 could be a special season for the team. But looking at the bigger picture, though, of the offensive line for next year, and we got one of our questions in quarter three, T. Frank, was about this, the effect this has on the entire offensive line. Okay, he's coming back. If you assumed he was going to move on, you penciled in Drew Shelton as your left tackle. Now what do you do that you have Fashionu coming back? He's your starting left tackle. That's it. We know that. What's the trickle-down effect? Well, you know, kind of shot the shot here earlier, but it, it's depth. You, you have the option and the luxury of flexibility. And I think you you highlighted the most important thing, and, and that is you have a you have a franchise left tackle. You have a dude where there's no questions. He's six foot six. He's uh, three hundred and twenty pounds. He moves. He's light on his feet. He's a great pass protector, and he's going to be a better run blocker next year. That's the area I think coming back for him that he can emphasize and he can really work on is power and and domination blocks. He's been good technically in the right spot doing all the things right but to use all of that leverage and his size and his power and all the natural strength he has he needs to do that a little bit more and this is the thing then he will be a lock top five pick there's no question right now with nine games as a 19 year old right now a 20 year old going into the draft you can say oh man he'll have a decade of football before he's even 30 uh, in the nfl he might also be too young to perform well early, and let alone you know the, the cultural implications of being a 20-year-old that can't drink in a NFL locker room. You know, so there, there's, there's all of those things. So you know, from everything that we've heard at Blue White Illustrated and my colleagues do a great job of reporting on these things is that this is a family decision, and, and his, his parents are very much into him staying at Penn State and, and continuing to grow as a human and uh, you know, all of those things smart just so smart uh because he is going to be a lock top five pick next year um then you go into i i'm gonna ride this until i die Lennon tangwall is the best offensive lineman that i've seen come to penn state uh, other than fashionu 
um, you know, and, and, and his talents, I think, were obscured by injury even before he w- was done for the season. You don't miss a game because of warm-ups. You, got, you hurt yourself during warm-ups. That, that, I, I have a hard time believing that it was something that happened in that moment. It was something he was dealing with. So, because he didn't look like the same person. He didn't look like the same football player. He didn't have the same power, strength, uh, uh, contact balance, any of those things. It looked different. Having him healthy and that left side and their high-end potential, that is a difference-making combination that Penn State has been looking for for decades. We actually have a chance to see it next year, barring injury. That's always the situation, right? Barring injury, those two guys together can be a difference-making unit up front. Hunter Norzad is going to be, I think, in a better, more natural position. It's a position I saw for him when he uh, came to Penn State. Is He just looks like a center. He's got that build more so than a guard. Let me interrupt you there. Uh, that assumes Juice Scruggs is gone. Uh, but he does have another year of eligibility, right? Because of the COVID yeah. year. Yeah. So, so it sounds like you're assuming that he will be leaving, and Norsad will move over to center. I, I think so. I think he's played well enough this year to go to the NFL. And then, what's the what's the value of Juice Scruggs returning? Because he's he's a mature, unlike Fashinu, he's a mature football player who's been in college football for long enough that physically he's developed, and I think he's reached the ceiling of maybe he'll get incrementally better, but then you can just do that in the NFL full-time. And uh, I think his value, I don't know where it lands in the draft because center and interior linemen, unless you're a first-round pick, aren't highly valued in the draft anyway. So he could be drafted anywhere from the fifth to the seventh round, and it's not a mistake. That's just where his position goes. But if he latches on and becomes a player and he's a depth player, he can play guard and center. Like It makes sense for him to go. Um so that would open up that spot for Norzad, and that's kind of the conversation that they've had since he announced he's returning. Then that guard position opposite becomes a battle for uh, the players left, and then the right tackle position, that is where if Penn State needs to go into the portal um, to find somebody so you're not playing a, a sophomore tackle, or however that works out, you have a lot of depth and options to fill in the places that you don't have guys that you've put, you've penciled in or put in stone as starters. And I understand that, you know, JB Nelson at left guard with Tangwall, that's going to be a competition too. But though that I'm just that combination on the left side is so potentially special. I just want to see it. I want to see the football gods reward us for our patience. Well, you also uh, mentioned right tackle and it's the same question. We know Hunter Norzad's coming back. We know Landon Tangwall, he's going to be coming back. Um, Fashionu's coming back. Juice Scruggs is a question. We talked about potentially uh, Shelton moving to the other side as the right tackle. But we also have Caden Wallace potentially there. Now, I would think with his amount of time out with injury for his draft stock, it would be best for him to return for another season. Yeah. What's your take? Yeah, I agree. Uh, and he's another guy that is physically mature enough to go, but I don't think he's ever proven anything as a starter that he is a capable lineman that the NFL would value. So he does need that perception change. And he was getting better this season. He was getting to the point that you he wasn't as much of a... You weren't as fearful 
about him in true passing situations as you were the previous seasons. Um, he still has technically enough uh, talent to play tackle, but maybe is a better guard at the NFL level. Just playing well is important for Wallace and being able to man that spot and, and put in a consistent year where he's a good starter is what he needs. So that does, that does bode coming back. And I don't think the transfer portal would be a good idea necessarily. Cause then you're learning a new system and scheme. And if you can't beat out a sophomore tackle, if you're Caden Wallace, like that kind of is indicative of what's going on anyway, you know? And one name you didn't mention is Vega Ioane, who, mm-hmm. It seems like the coaches really like him, they but they were also intent on saving his red shirt. Yeah, and that's at that right guard position. Again, Sal Wormley has not been amazing. Uh, he was a, he was the team's best run-blocking offensive lineman. He got banged up. He played through it, so he kind of lost that superpower. And what you were left with was a guy that wasn't great at pass protection. So not only do you have injury and depth guarantees by having more of these players, you have, if Vega's a better pass blocker and he brings a similar level of physicality in the run game because he's 6'4", 330, then you have the option to say, listen, we need a guy that can do both and we're going to go with the guy that's more complete. And not Penn State hasn't had that option in so long. And I don't even know the last time they've had that option. So having not only the ability to move players around to get your actual best five and not your air quotes best five, and then also having competition so that guys can't just go out there and be less than a complete player, Penn State's in the position they could potentially field that. So, you know, I do think Vega has a lot of work to do from what I've seen on film. He's naturally strong. He does not give up easy stuff. But I need to see a little more mobility from him. I think, I don't know, maybe he needs to lose a little bit. Of, he looks a little turtly is, is my problem. He looks a little bit hunched and turtly. And I, you know how I like mobile, loose athletic linemen. And uh, he doesn't have to be perfect. But to reach that level, you know, a little bit more mobility working on some of Because he's got all of the tools. You know, just seeing it on the football field. And I haven't seen enough to really give you anything other than the first impression. You know, they're, they're, he's not perfect and ready to go and going to be this breakout player. He could be, but there are a, a couple unknowns for me. The overriding theme here, T. Frank, is with every returning player, that means more depth on the offensive line. That has to be it for our show. Thank you all for listening. Be sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. New Trail Brewing Company proudly crafts their beers right here in central Pennsylvania. Brewed with only the best possible ingredients, New Trail produces a variety of year-round brands, as well as weekly experimental recipes. And next time you're watching the game with friends or by the campfire, pick up the New Trail Hoppy Variety Pack. New Trail's Hoppy Pack is an absolute crowd pleaser. Packed with four different hoppy beers, it's sure to please everyone. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. 
Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. We are Tech Results, located right here in State College. We specialize in providing assistance with many third-party software suites. Our clients include doctor's offices, lawyers, construction companies, and even hairdressers. We provide help with their industry-specific software. Learn more at techresults.com. That's T-E-K results.com. Or give us a call at 814 206 